Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Wow, we've had a little church this morning, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the second book in the Bible, Exodus, Genesis, Exodus. Uh, as Bobby mentioned, we're going to uh, finish up over the next couple of weeks our series entitled Rescue. We've been teaching this uh, this picture of Moses and how God called him to be a part of rescuing the people of Israel from the Egyptians, how the rescue occurs and how God has used Moses in this most amazing way. A normal guy called away from everything that was comfortable to go attempt to do something extraordinary. And all the while, God showing them amazing signs of both his power and his presence. Now, um, I trust that you've got a pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara to jot some notes down today because there's a lot of truth that's found in the 33rd chapter of Exodus. And it's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture because of how it promises this overwhelming sense of God's presence. We sang a song a few minutes ago speaking to the issue of God, we don't want your blessings. We want you. You know, I find it interesting that we are a people that often treat our prayer life and treat our our ongoing challenges in life as if God were a heavenly vending machine and we put three quarters in and we want the good stuff. But we don't want to walk with the vending machine. We just want the stuff from the machine. And all of a sudden, God becomes a heavenly Santa Claus to us and we kind of wait for the gift to come, but we're not sure we want Santa hanging out with us. And yet Moses finds himself in this most precarious position where he does what you and I do often. He's looking for a sign. Now, there's three kind of people in here when it comes to signs. There are people who see God and signs in all things. I mean, don't you know those folks, right? I mean, like they're, they're out at a ball game watching their kid play and they swallow a gnat, you know, and they say that can only mean one thing. Really? Yes, it, it, it means that, that the, the nation of Israel is coming down the hill and they're going to wipe us all out. And, it, and I thought, wow, I just thought it was a gnat. How about that? I didn't, I didn't see that. And, and then there's other people who they can't see a sign if it bit them. I mean, God does this incredible work in their life and they're like, you know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I don't see it. I don't, how could that be? And then I think there's the biggest crowd in the room and it's the people who want and need to control and understand every sign. Because if I can control it and if I can understand it, then that must mean that it's good. And if I can't control it and if I can't understand it, well, then how could that be good? Because I don't get it. You know, one of the greatest lessons I've learned is this, that he is God and we are not. And God can and God will do as he pleases because he is holy and we are not. He is righteous. He is good and we are not. And Moses finds himself in this precarious situation where he literally asks God for a sign. Now, let me put this in perspective. To this point, let's remember, God sends Moses to Pharaoh. They go through the plagues. They go through all of that challenge. Pharaoh, whose heart is now softened through the plagues, sends the people of Israel out. God opens the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, the people of Israel walk across on dry land, and the water swallows up all the bad guys, and they move on. It's like a little boy who showed up 
at home one day and his mom said, what'd you learn in Sunday school, Johnny? And he said, mom, you're not going to believe it was the coolest thing ever. Like God brought these people and he pulled them out of a rock and he brought them to the over to where all of a sudden there was nowhere to go and the bad guys had their missiles lined up ready to launch them toward them. And all of a sudden God sent hovercraft and he sent them across the ocean and the bombs were flying everywhere and none of them hit the people. And they got to the other side and all of them jumped out of the hovercraft and they got their guns and they killed all the bad guys. Mom, it was so great. And mom said, is that really what you heard in Sunday school? And he said, no, but if I told you what happened, you'd never believe that. <laughs> and so that's how we treat these signs. Listen, Moses is looking for a sign after he's had a burning bush that wasn't consumed, after his staff becomes a snake, after they followed a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. After when they were hungry, he provided manna. And when they were thirsty, he sent a tree to take polluted water and turn it into clear water. All of those sound a little bit like signs, don't they? And Moses looks back at God and said, tell you what, could you just give me a sign? I'm 53 years old. You know what I still do? Every now and then, you know what I want to say? I want to say, God, would you just send one of those planes that writes in the sky with an arrow pointing me in the right direction? You know, God, could, could you just have Linwood stop by the office and tell me which way to go? Wouldn't it, I mean, don't we all want a sign? All of a sudden we find Moses is looking for a sign. Well, let's start in verse one. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying... To your offspring I will give. Now there's a reminder of God's promise, all right? Then in verse 2 he says, I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. You know, and listen, you know what God's reminding us here? We all got sites. We got debt sites. We got, you know, we, we got marriage sites. We got kid sites. We got health sites. You with me? I mean, we're surrounded by sites. You know what God says? I'll drive them all out if you'll let me. We all got sites. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way. For, and I love this, you are a stiff-necked people. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, well, is that a Bible term, Chuck, stiff-necked? No, actually, I believe this. God is showing his sense of humor here. God is looking at us and saying, so when I finally give you a direction, when I finally give you a sign, here's how you respond. You stick our head out like... That's not what I asked for. It's not what I wanted. And it's almost like, you want some of this? And God looks at his people sometimes and says, you know, you're just a stiff-necked group of clodhoppers. What's wrong with you? Here, I have you not seen all I've done for you? Have you not seen everything I've brought you through? And you just keep looking at me back with a stiff neck. When are you going to soften your heart? When are you going to turn loose? When are you going to let me have my way? And all of a sudden, we see this big idea in this passage of Scripture that we see God from the back, not in his face. You know what I've learned in my life? That most often, I look behind and I see all that God has done, and I find that easy to explain, and yet for some reason, I find it to trust as I look forward. Isn't that amazing? We see God from the back, not from the face. 
And it's easy to say, oh, well, that's what God did. Oh, well, that's why God did that. Oh, well, that's, that's why God allowed that to happen. And we see Moses now saying, please show me a sign. Look in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, and listen to this, please show me now your ways. Please, give me a sign. And we find big fault number two here where God says, I'm going to give you something better than a sign. I'm going to give you something better than a sign. Look in verse 14. In verse 14, and God said, my presence will go with you. See, we're looking for a sign. We're looking for guidance. And God comes along and says, I'm going to give you a guide. It was right after Christmas break in my sixth grade year. And mom drove me up. She had enrolled me. We had moved from up north to Daytona Beach, Florida, back to our hometown. And it was time for me at the Christmas break to start at a new school. I started so many new schools, I just assumed I was always called, hey, buddy. I walked in and Mom didn't go in with me to register me for my first day in sixth grade after Christmas break at Seabreeze Junior High School. And I walked in that school and it didn't take me long to realize these people don't dress like me. They don't wear their hair like me and they don't act or talk like me. I'm the outsider here. So I go into the guidance counselor office to sign the junk I'm supposed to sign. And while I'm doing that, I'm thinking to myself, This is not what moms are supposed to do to their kid. And the guidance counselor gave me a map of every place I was supposed to go, put an X on the room I was supposed to go there, and the number of what period I was supposed to show at. And I walked out in the hallway and I thought, I don't have a clue. And about five steps down the hall, I met Monica. Hello, Monica. I rapidly became a fan of Daytona Beach, Florida. Monica, well, let's just say as a sixth grader, my heart was jumping out of my chest because Monica had arrived. And you know what Monica said? Where are you going and where are you from? And at the moment I thought, I don't care. I just want to hang out with you. Come to find out she's headed to the same place. And she said, come on and I'll show you the way. And I thought, bam. Now watch this. Don't miss this. You see, in that moment, I didn't need guidance. I needed a guide. When you go to a new office, you don't need guidance. You need a guide. When you move into a new community, you don't need the packet that tells you where the good restaurants are. You need a neighbor that says, let me show you the good stuff. In our life, we don't need more guidance. We need a guide. Listen, God's not in the direction business. He's in the relational business. You see, Moses received a guide found in the presence of God. And the presence of God came because of a relationship with God. He looked for a sign, but he got something better. You know what I've learned? That guides, 
that, that really invest in your life, they're able to take you where you need to be because they know where you've been. And you say, well, what, what would be the benefits of that relationship? Chuck, I, I like to know what the benefits are. We all like benefits, don't we? I mean, you go get a new job, what is it you want to know? What are the benefits? I, I like to have a 401k, and I'd like to have health insurance, and I'd like to have this, and I'd like to have that. I'd like to have a paid vacation. We all like benefits, don't we? And so you look at these and say, well, what would be those benefits? Well, Scripture's pretty clear here. God makes it abundantly clear. Number one, we have a companion. In verse 14, what does it say? And God said, my presence will go with you. It reminds me, I was a little boy, and I, the first time I ever sung a solo in church, and I can't sing a lick, but my dad thought I could at the time. Oops. And so... He, we're going we're to sing this song. It's an old hymn called In the Garden. And the song goes like this. And he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. And when I sang it, it sounded a little bit like this. And you know what everybody said? Oh, that was so sweet. Proving that a lot of folks come to church and lie. But what God said is, I promise I'm going to be your companion. Has it ever occurred to you that God fixed being alone before he had to fix sin? God came along and he looked at man who he'd created and said, that's not good for man to be what? Alone. And he said, I'm going to be your companion. This morning when you woke up, you know who was waiting on you? A God who adores you, a heavenly father who created you, the one who wants the best for you, the one who wants to shine down on you, his glory. We have a companion. But you know what we also have? Look at the rest of verse 14. It says, and he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but life sometimes sucks the life out of me. I don't know about you, but sometimes relationships are hard and sometimes work is hard and sometimes paying bills are hard and sometimes getting through life is hard and life, if you're not careful, will suck the life right out of you and all of a sudden you've got to find a place of rest. I have learned this the hard way. Rest is not the ceasing of activity, but is the presence of peace. By the way, if you didn't write that down, you might should have. Rest is not the ceasing of activity. Rest is the presence of peace. Guess what God says, and I will give you rest. By the way, this Christmas we will sing about someone called the Prince of Peace. Where will you find rest? I will find rest in the presence of God. How will I do that? Because God the Father saw you, and he sent God the Son, the Prince of Peace, that he might leave you the presence of the Holy Spirit that you might choose to accept that God wants you to have all of his presence and all of his peace. And he wants you to find rest in that. I find that I have a companion. I find that I have rest. Oh, by the way, just a quick thought. Has it ever occurred to you that rest is a testimony of your degree of trust? Rest is a testimony of your degree of trust. You see, here's what happens in my life. I've got a problem. I've got a need. I've got a want. And Jenny can tell you, I, I'm a worry wart and I get frustrated and I get, I turn inside and I get all grumpy and frumpy and then how are we going to do it? I don't know how we're going to do it because I like to control stuff and I'm a freak about it. And, and you know what happens? All of a sudden I make life worse because what I'm really saying is, God, I can't trust you with this. So I'm going to try to work three times harder in my own way because I can't trust you. And all the while, God's saying this, if you'll rest in me, you'll find you can trust me. And if you trust me, you'll find rest. 
So today, if you're here and you're frustrated and you don't know what life has right around the next corner, trust and rest and rest and trust. And God says, I'm going to give you a companion. I'm going to give you rest. Then he says, I'm going to make you distinct. I'm going to make you unique. Look in verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? By the way, if you want to jot this passage down, 1 Peter 1.17. By the way, you know what 1 Peter 1.17 teaches us? That if we truly are living in the power and the companionship and the presence and the rest of God, you are living differently than the world. And if the world doesn't see you living differently than the world, then you're not resting in the presence and the power of God. You say, well, Chuck, I, I I just want to go along to get along then you know what you're willing to do? You're saying, I don't want everything God has for me. I mean, this morning, you know what I want from God? I want God to open up the windows of heaven and pour all of his glory. I want him to pour all of his grace. I want him to pour all of his goodness. And I want it all. I'm tired of settling for less. I'm tired of getting a dab or a dribble or a little bit here. I want it all. And you know what God says? I want to give it all to you, but you've got to let me you got to let me do that. You're going to be distinct. Oh, but it gets better. Then he says, you're going to have a known presence. Look in verse 17, by the way. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by your name. Now think about it. God, who spoke this world into existence, God, who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, he knows you by name. You know what he didn't have to do? He didn't have to look and say, hey, buddy. This morning he woke up and he said, hey, Ann, have I got a plan for you? He knows you by name. You know, I'm blessed. I, I, I have one of those marriages that we, we just have fun. We laugh. We love. We, our home is filled with joy. And, and, you know, part of that is, is Jenny and I have pet names for each other. Do, do any of y'all have that? I mean, hers is so inappropriate, I can't even say it to you here. <laughs> I'm right, aren't I, baby? Yeah. Oops. <laughs> I might have a new one later today. <laughs> but, but you know what's interesting to me? There's an intimacy that comes by knowing someone by name that you just can't beat. Old John Woods, I was talking to him between services out there. And he said, you know, something you said in the first service made me think, you know, Satan, he, he, he can call you by name, but he's going to use that to remind you of all your sin. Jesus knows all your sin and he'll still call you by name. You know what God said? If, if you'll trust my presence, I, I've got you. I know everything about you, and I'm going to pour my best out on you if you'll just let me. Moses said, let me see your glory. Look over there in verse four, uh, 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Why? Because in verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. It's like that song you hear on the radio, show me your glory. That's what it's talking about. 
I want God to show me everything. I want him to pour his best out on this church. I don't want us to settle for less. I don't want us to settle for fake church. I don't want to settle for homemade glory. I don't want to settle for man-man glory. I want God to open up heaven and pour it all out. I want it all. He says, show me your glory. And you know what God said? I will show you my glory. And look how he did it in verse 19. He gives us signs of his goodness. Have you ever heard this phrase, the goodness of God? You know what that means? Take every attribute of God, everything good about God, put it inside that word. And he says, I want to give you my best. The God who created you wants to give you his best. Not one time did God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a hand me down. Not one time did he said, I'm going to give you second place. Not one time did he said, this was for somebody else, but Hey, you know what? You can wear it too. God crafted the best and he said, I know you by name and I'm going to give you not my glory, not just my goodness. But then he says in verse 19, he goes on and he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim you before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He gives you his glory, his goodness, and he gives you his grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. Think about that. Next time somebody does something wrong to you and you think, well, I'll tell you what you deserve. Think, remember what we deserve and what Jesus said. Now I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you my goodness. I'm going to give you my glory. But you know, we tend to see his glory. We tend to see his goodness. We tend to see his grace again out the back of the car. We, we get the benefit of seeing out the rear view mirror. I get to look back at challenges and deaths in my family or cancer in my family or tragedy in my family. I get to look back at making money and losing it all and making money and losing it all. I look back at horrific mistakes and terrible decisions and I look back at bad attitudes and I see how God's used all of that to shape and create and have a plan for my today and for my tomorrow. And he gives me this choice. It's either going to be a crutch that I'm going to lean on and say, oh, woe is me, or a ladder that I'm going to climb over and let God receive glory. But I get to see that through the rear view mirror. And now he says, if you can see that through the rear view mirror, why don't you look out the windshield and trust me? It's been my experience that God, though, doesn't point the way God leads the way. God doesn't need a laser pointer to tell me where to go. God leads me where to go. But that's only true if I receive his glory and his goodness and his grace. See, we don't need a sign. We need the presence of the sign maker. We, we, we don't need a direction. We need a God of all direction. We don't need blessings. We need him. And at some point, what we've got to be able to say and do is this. God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And in doing so, receive his glory, his goodness, and his grace so that we might look through the front of the windshield and trust in the rest in the presence of God. And it's then and only then that we can sing, it is well with my soul.